You're listening to episode 229 of the Mad Chatters podcast, September 4th, 2019. It's Jeremy's birthday. Most everyone's mad here. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Mad Chatters podcast, your very important date with the happenings at Walt Disney World and around the Disney universe. My name is Derek, I'm your host, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jeremy. We're down here in the hurricane. Oh, you're fine. And also (laughs) joining us this week, frequent guest of the show, host of his own podcast, Disney Coast to Coast, it's Jeff DePauly. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me, guys. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. So, Jeff, you went to a little event known as the D23 Expo. Yes, I survived another one. I have now been to every single day of every single expo in Anaheim, California. Wow. Remind me when the first one was. It was uh, D23 began in 2009. Okay, that's what I thought. So this was the sixth expo happening every other year. Wow. It's... just doesn't seem like it's been that many i am a day one charter member of d23 that's pretty cool a whole decade of your life now i mean you know like three days every two years but still he uses that in a bar and slays (laughs) (laughs) whenever i'm writing a letter to disney and i list you know i'm a disney vacation clubber i'm this i'm that i am a day one charter member of d23 and you should listen i'll totally use it because if there's something they need to know they need to know that i'm a committed fan definitely yeah uh well we're going to talk all about the expo on this week's show we're going to get into all the big news of course that was announced and how we feel about it and just some general thoughts on the expo and we're going to talk about the disney legends which are always a large part of the expo each year But let's get right to it and start with some of these announcements that were revealed at the D23 Expo this year. Uh, Now, we talk about the parks and resorts a lot on this show, but I do want to at least mention some of the movie news that was announced and get your take on it. And I'll start with Marvel. (laughs) Jeff's favorite topic. Listen, my favorite thing about the Marvel presentation is that it was nice and short. I was like, fantastic. It was so this was, if I might add, this was the first year that the Walt Disney Studios presentation was a mix of everything. Usually they separate live action and animation. So because they put live action with animation this year, it actually made them speed through some things that typically they might have spent more time on. uh, But I'm not complaining at all about that. I didn't even put that together, but that makes a lot of sense. And also, some of this was actually revealed at San Diego Comic-Con. And so at D23, it allowed them to just be like, oh, and by the way, there's also this, 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 and this. But uh, Marvel has been kind of silent for a while because, you know, Endgame happened and then Spider-Man happened. And that was the end of Phase 3. And it was kind of like, okay, Marvel, what's coming next? We don't know. And so with the San Diego Comic-Con and D23, they've now revealed a ton of information about Phase 4. And here is what Phase 4 will include. Black Widow coming out this May. The Eternals, which is another, um, like, group. Oh, what's the word? Ensemble. There you go. Another ensemble film with, like, Angelina Jolie and some men from Game Game of Thrones. That comes out in November of this year. 
Next February, we're going to get Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, whatever that is. In May, we're going to get Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. These titles are getting out of control. In November of next year, we're getting Thor, Love and Thunder with a female Thor played by Natalie Portman. And then also now that Disney Plus is coming, there are some TV shows and they are technically part of Phase 4 along with the movies. So The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki, Hawkeye, WandaVision, and an animated series called What If. And then all of that was San Diego Comic-Con, but then at D23 they announced Black Panther 2 is coming, shocker, in 2022. And also there will be a Blade film. So, whew, it's a lot. It is a lot, yep. The future is female. I think that's what I took away from the Marvel uh, announcements over the last couple months. I'm excited. Nothing in that thrills you at all, Jeff DePaul? There's one that interests me. I, listen, I'm, j- I'm just missing the gene, and I, I'm tired of apologizing for it, but I'm going to apologize for it. I'm missing the gene that makes those films exciting. When it comes to Marvel, the ones I'm interested in are Spider-Man. I've always been a Spider-Man fan ever since like that first Tobey Maguire movie, and Tom Holland has just plussed that for me. But of course, we have that's some... A- uh- we have some awkward things to tell you, actually. Yeah, I know. So, yeah, there's a whole lot. <laughs> with that, with the whole Tom Holland situation, which you know we can or won't get into, it's up to you guys, but have you seen the Jeff Goldblum reaction video? No. Oh, <laughs> unbelievable. Derek, go through my some of my old tweets or just search Jeff Goldblum Spider-Man reaction. One of the funniest, I probably played it 50 times during the expo. It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. I adore Jeff Goldblum, and I just love, nobody else reacts to stuff like Jeff Goldblum. It's amazing. But in any case, when it comes to Marvel, the things that interest me are Spider-Man, and uh, and I enjoy Guardians of the Galaxy. But of everything you just mentioned, the one that I find most fascinating is WandaVision. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea what this is. Except for the fact that they showed us pieces of it, or, or at least a teaser of some sort, during the Disney Plus panel. And it was like, literally, they took clips from the Dick Van Dyke show and mixed it with, like, Marvel stuff. And I don't really know what that means, but there is some sort of sitcom relation to WandaVision. And I'm fascinated to find out what that's going to be. Whether or not I'll like it is a totally different story. But they've piqued my interest. Yeah, so the title comes from a mashup of Scarlet Witch, whose name is Wanda, and then her love interest in the MCU, who is Vision, who was Vision, R.I.P. And so WandaVision comes from that, but then it's a play on words because, like you said, those old TV shows, back, the sitcoms back in the day, you know, Vision, something Vision was a popular title. Um, and also, I think I heard that she is going to be in the Doctor Strange film, the uh, Scarlet Witch is, and it's also that film is also going to tie into WandaVision. So it's like this huge circular universe they've created. Here's the thing. I'm a completionist when it comes to stuff. And the Marvel Cinematic Universe requires a lot of hours to, uh, to really dig in. And that's part of the unappeal to me is the fact that I'm unwilling to give that amount of hours to to that so i think that's 100 percent fair yeah uh i'm excited about love and thunder i think that the take on thor the female thor um is going to be has potential there because that character is very funny and serious at the same time 
So I feel like there's some potential there. Plus the Love and Thunder, it kind of gives me this like retro vibe. Um, maybe like a Summer of Love, 60s sort of feel. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of play there. The WandaVision does interest me as well because, like you said, that sort of 50s um, sitcom, which does not jive at all with, you know, what you think of Marvel, has been – is it so strange that it has such potential to be – Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, you know, so it's it's weird. Um, one thing wasn't mentioned as well, Derek, is uh, She-Hulk. They announced She-Hulk is coming. True. Super pumped about that because I love the Hulk, and She-Hulk is such a random character that it can't. I, I can't help but like not look away. It's going to be really good. Yeah, the audience reaction to that was really big, and I don't know, was that something that was rumored that was confirmed that day, or was that kind of out of left field? Because the reaction was kind of like people hadn't even heard of this. I think it was out of left field. I don't think anybody saw that coming, because again, that's such like a rare character from like the 80s, and like, you know, its own little deviation of a comic book series that no one would have thought that they would be seriously you know, making that into something. My thing with the whole Marvel is there's so much. How are we going to have time to watch all this? Like that, you've just added five hours of television to my life. Well, because you mentioned, so the the five series I mentioned are officially on the poster of Phase Four, along with the movies like Doctor Strange and Thor: Love and Thunder, the She Hulk, as well as Ms. Marvel and Moon Knight are three more series coming to Disney Plus based on Marvel. But what I couldn't tell is if they are officially part of the MCU or their own separate thing. I don't know. But yeah, that's eight new series coming to Disney Plus with Marvel characters. I think that uh, they're smart in also making everything a part of the same universe. Because you remember when Netflix was doing like the Luke Cage and the Daredevil and even some of the S.H.I.E.L.D series that were marvel but they weren't connected to marvel and i think that might have been part of their downfall is that they didn't have uh any sort of tie-ins to the films i 100 percent agree with that fact just because along with being like a completionist i'm also somebody who appreciates continuity so one of the things that drives me nuts is when there's contradiction really in anything and story most in the most case but like even when it comes to casting and stuff i don't like it like where there'll be a character on one show played by somebody and then the same character played by a different person on another show or whatever like i like things to make sense if it's all in one universe make it one universe and that's why as much as i'm not a marvel fan i wholeheartedly applaud what they do i really have a ton of respect for what Kevin Feige's done there and, and what Disney's allowed him to do. Uh, may he be the next CEO of the Walt Disney Company. I'd be okay with that. Uh, but yeah, I so I appreciate that aspect of Marvel. Well, good. I love it. I know it's not for everyone, but I, I do think it's an impressive undertaking. Absolutely. Which is why I went to see Avengers uh, Infinity War, because at, stupidly at that point, I thought that was the end of the 10 the year MCU thing. And that's kind of what I, I was under the impression that that was the end. And then Endgame came out and I was like, no, I'm not doing that again. But I did go see Infinity War because even if I don't like them, applause worthy, like what they've done. Yeah, I agree. All right. So, Jeff, were you at this panel? 
Yes, because this was part of the Walt Disney Studios panel. So yes. yes. Okay, then I'm going to uh, read the other movies that they talked about, and I want you to tell me like if anything stood out from that panel itself. Because none of this was really new that they announced, but each movie got a little section that was devoted to it. So in the live action arena, we got more new or more information about Jungle Cruise, Maleficent. Okay. Okay. Oh, we're, you're going to stop after the first one. Okay, go for it. Jungle Cruise gave the one of the best presentations of the entire panel. This was the the live action one that got me most excited because just let's Dwayne Johnson. I'm not an uber fan of his. I don't dislike him by any means. I but I I know people like love Dwayne the Rock Johnson and. I've just always been, I'm kind of marveled at that. I was like, what is it that people love so much? But in any case, he clearly has this energy about him that people love. And he came out riding on a jungle boat, uh, on a jungle cruise boat. Like it drove through the audience. And like, that was kind of a big, the first big thing to happen at the event. Like, whoa, great entrance. And he goes through the audience, gets on stage. He's being his larger than life self. And then he's like, I'm going to show you a trailer. And the trailer he shows us is very... Dwayne Johnson centric and then they did this very funny skit where you you just hear from backstage Emily Blunt and she's like hold on a second hold on and she comes out in a car on stage and she was like what was that whole thing and you know those so oh Dwayne Johnson and my name was like in little letters and so then she showed her version of the trailer that was very you know Emily Blunt centric uh. and then there was that conversation after and what it just showed to me was I don't know if you've been catching this, but like they've really been pushing the fact that Dwayne and Emily have this really fun relationship and that shooting this movie has been a fun time for them and that they've just really enjoyed each other's company and had a great uh, chemistry. And this presentation 1000% confirmed that and made it seem real. And I'll tell you, if it's a not real chemistry that they're having, then they're really phenomenal actors because... It was it was exciting to see them, and I'm still not sure if I'll love the movie, but I know I'm gonna see it because it was a great presentation. The trailers looked fun, and and I'm excited. And I could totally see, you know, I, I know that their their goal with Jungle Cruise is to make it the next Pirates of the Caribbean, and I could see this becoming a franchise. Did you not get like Jumanji vibes from it? Because having not oh, seen the trailer, that's all I can think. Yeah, now I have not seen the latest Jumanji. I saw the original. But yeah, I think it's it's trying to do that. Jumanji did very, very well at the box office. So I think that, you know, they kept comparing it to like Indiana Jones and Romancing the Stone, which I Romancing the Stone I thought was a really strange reference. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I'm Is that a Fox movie or something? Does it have a Disney tie now? I'm not sure. I don't think it does. I just know Jumanji it's Jumanji does Michael not. Michael Douglas, isn't that who it is? Yeah, Michael Douglas and, and um, uh, oh gosh, Jessica Rabbit there. What is her name? The voice of Jessica Rabbit. Oh, Kathleen. Uh, Kath Turner, yeah. Kathleen Turner, yeah. So that was, the, as far as like the live action stuff is concerned, that was the one at that panel that I was most excited for. Interesting. Based on the trailers, what would you say is the genre of the film? Like, is it an action comedy? Yes, it's an action. It's Jumanji. It's an action comedy. There you go. Yeah. And then they showed more about Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, Mulan, and Cruella, which are basically all live-action adaptations of animated movies in one way or another. Yeah, Mulan looks beautiful. It really looks beautiful. I'm looking forward to that. That is, I've been saying for a long time that that's the one animated to live-action film that I feel like makes sense. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't feel like a cash grab as much as the others, 
it lo- you know, it seems to have a reason to be made. Uh, it's it's a very different yet similar to the animated film, but it looks like it's going to have a lot of heart. The production value is beautiful. Um, it not being a musical, at least as of right now, it's not a musical. I think that that actually gives it some sort of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Gravitas. I don't know. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it, it, it makes it like less of a cash grab, I think. Yeah. And uh, so, but that could change. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if they end up adding music to it, if it doesn't test well or something. But it looks really, 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 really good. Um, and then Cruella, we got our first look. And I think this was news at the expo. I don't think that this was something we knew. But it's like a punk rock Cruella. So we got our first look at uh, Emma, Emma Stone in her costume. And it looks great. I was like, cool. And I'm, a, you know, I like the Glenn Close Cruella. So part of me is like, we don't need another live-action Cruella DeVille, but it, lo- it looks good. I feel like we finally reached that point where we're built, um, we're blending the Glenn Close version with the Descendants, and like, <laughs> yeah. oh, now you just made it very unappealing to me. <laughs> uh, you're not wrong. Yeah. Okay, so what were your thoughts on the Pixar films, which are Soul S O U L and Onward, the two ones that are coming up next? They they were the absolute highlights of that of that panel. Um, Pixar has it all over Walt Disney Animation. I think next year, uh, they were the two films that I was most excited about leaving that panel. Soul looks incredible to me. Soul, it's Pete Doctor. Pete Doctor is fantastic. He's made some of my favorite Pixar films, like Up and uh, Monsters Inc. He's he's phenomenal. And I'm excited about Soul. I'm excited about two original Pixar films for next year. I think that that's great news. And, you know, it's a the main character is an artist in the film. So, you know, he's a, he's a jazz musician. So, you know, I respect that. And it's interesting because they showed a good clip from it. And, and he dies right at the beginning of the film. And his soul is released. And this, his soul goes to the land where souls live and where souls are shaped and formed. And I think it looks really great. It, it had an inside out kind of feel to it in some ways, but I think it looks fantastic. And that's, that's the one I'm looking most forward to onward. looks really good. looks really fun. Chris Pratt and Tom Holland came out to uh, talk about the film as well as Julia Louis-Dreyfus who plays their mom. And you know, they, they, there are, those are two fun loving guys, right? Like who doesn't want to be best friends with Tom Holland and or uh, Chris Pratt. So to have them playing around on stage together talking about this film, we got to see eight minutes of the movie. Wow. And it's going to be hilarious. Like, there's... Um, I, I mean, I don't... I can never... Here's the problem with the expo. I can never remember, like, what is made public knowledge after and what was just told to us. So if I tell you this story and it's too spoilery or something, you can feel free to uh, edit it out. But... We got to see this great scene where the story is basically these boys grew up without their dad and they you know, they live in a world of magic and everything and their dad left them a gift uh, and you know told the mom, don't give the boys this until they're both over 16 years old. So on the youngest boy's 16th birthday, he gives them this magic staff and basically clues on how to resurrect their dad, at least for like a day, through these magical powers. And so they start resurrecting their dad from like the feet up and uh, something goes wrong and the, the spell isn't continued. But all we get is like the lower half of his body. So so you've got like this character of the dad walking around with a, a fake 
upper half. And there's just like hilarious things that happen. And, and it's really, really, really funny. I don't know if I did a great job describing it, but it's hilarious. And, and I just have to mention, you know, obviously that week was the week that Tom Holland was going through a lot of distress, I'm sure, with the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe and who owns Spider-Man stuff. And he's just such a class act. And he, he just, you know, thanked the fans for being there and um, seemed to heart feltly, heart in a heart feeling way, really um, be grateful for, for everything that he's gotten from it. And obviously hopes to be back in the MCU, but we'll see. Yeah, I, I am really excited to have two original films, like you said, from Pixar, because it's been a minute since we've had that. Um, yes, it has. And then over on over at Walt Disney Animation Studios, of course, they're gearing up for Frozen 2, and which I heard you got like a couple songs from that during the panel. Yeah, I had actually seen one of the songs before. Uh, I, I was at a, a, a barbecue at Walt Disney Animation, and they showed us one of Elsa's songs there. So they showed us that scene, and... Um, it's, you know, one of at least two songs for Elsa and it's a, it's a big number. Um, I don't think it's the let it go song. I think they have a a more powerful one than that one even. And they sang a song that like the animation wasn't ready for. So they, the full cast came out and sang a song. Sounds fine. It's frozen. It'll be good. (laughs) Okay. And then Raya, Raya maybe. And the last dragon is something I knew nothing about. Yeah, so I've been hearing about a dragon movie for a long time. I kept hearing, oh, Disney's doing a dragon movie, which immediately, like, oh, well, they just want to, you know, beat How to Train Your Dragon, is the first thought. I gotta be honest, not my cup of tea from what I've seen. It did not excite me at all. The bits they showed us, there were some funny moments, but overall, I didn't like the design of the film. Once again, it's photorealistic animation. I'm so sick and tired of that. I'm just like... Can we just have an animated film look animated? That'd be great. But, um, you know, it is what it is. I We didn't see enough for me to say, I, I, mean, I will see it. It's a Disney animated movie, but I'm not excited about it. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I did want to run through a list of some of the Disney Plus news that was... Ah, uh, <laughs> yes. Okay, and, and then after I read this, you guys feel free to talk about the ones that interested you most. And I didn't even write them all down, but Candace Against the Universe, a Phineas and Ferb movie. High School Musical, the musical, the series. Monsters at Work, a Monsters, Inc. animated series. Forky Asks a Question, a series of shorts based on Forky from Toy Story 4. The World According to Jeff Goldblum, which I'm sure Jeff is excited about. It's going to be a uh, reality type show. Uh, Along in that same uh, vein will be Encore, hosted by Kristen Bell. Uh, Lady in the Tramp, live action film. Noel, a Christmas movie with Anna Kendrick and Bill Hader. Muppets Now, a brand new series of shorts featuring the Muppets, and a, not reboot, a continuation of the Lizzie McGuire series starring Hilary Duff. And and much, much more than that. Yeah. Tell us about the world according to Jeff Goldblum. I'm beyond excited for this. I, as if I haven't made it clear, I love Jeff Goldblum. I think he's amazing and he's an incredible person. And it's it's just a show where, you know, he's he is naturally, I think, a very curious person and likes to try new things and isn't scared to try new things. And so it's a show that follows him around the country just trying new things, whether it's, you know, making ice cream or or, or learning, you know, to dance or whatever. Uh, and it's just very much following him around and him doing his thing, which he is so good at. He is so good at being Jeff Goldblum that he's definitely hit 
this uh, line of... I think he started to become a bit of a caricature. And now I think he's not sure where, like, real Jeff Goldblum ends and this character begins. So, like, I think... He's the same level as Bill Murray. Yeah, but way better. Um, (laughs) But, but yeah, I think he's... uh, You know, I, I don't... I don't know him personally, but I feel like there's a man. If there's a man who loves life to the fullest, it's it's Jeff Goldblum, and I'm excited to see him love life to the fullest. Yeah, there are a lot of things coming to Disney. I I can't believe that they are launching it with this many new things in just the first six months or so. It's a it's a daunting. Um, that's the only word I can think of. But yeah, they're very smart because they're releasing it weekly. So they won't run out of the content the way that Netflix does so quickly. Right. So this this initial batch should last us a few months. I'm very excited about the uh, Phineas and Ferb continuation because I always thought that was a brilliant series. And even though Lizzie McGuire was sort of – it came out when I was sort of on the way out of the Disney Channel viewing audience. Um, I got really excited about it coming back. Uh, you know, just to see that character and see where they've gone, and there's something, there's something nostalgic about it, and and comforting about going back and seeing, you know, things from your childhood, I guess. Uh, so I'm I'm pretty pumped. They didn't really release any details though, as far as what it's going to look like. I mean, she's what 30 now, so I'm assuming she probably has kids of her own, and maybe they will have their own little internal struggles the way that young Lizzie did. Uh, but still, it's it's going to be cool. Yeah, very well could be. I'm excited that Muppets are not dead. I, it, You know, it's short, so it's not a TV series like before, but Disney is still putting money into the Muppets. Oh, yes. The Muppets are so hit and miss as far as general audience appeal. Um, there's people like us who like everything that they put out, you know, in a sense. Um, so I think the, the Muppets thrive when they are in their vaudevillian sort of comedy level um so we don't need a whole feature per se although i love them but you know muppets most wanted was was good but it didn't get the love that it should but i think about even like uh, great moments in history with the muppets that works because it's five minutes it's funny it's not overdone the audience is left wanting more so i'm hoping these shorts will will kind of have that same feel the short that they showed us was very funny i will say that and i think uh, something important that's going to come from the Muppet shorts is since this new performer whose name I'm forgetting, and I apologize, but since this new performer has taken over the role of Kermit the Frog, uh, we're, we have not heard him in any consistent way yet. And so therefore it's still jarring every time we hear the new Kermit, because like it or not, he sounds different. And so to have a consistent, something consistent where we'll hear this Kermit, this new Kermit on a regular basis. At the very least, it should at least um, reintroduce is the wrong word, but it should acclimate us to uh, Kermit the Frog, which I think is important because Kermit's an awesome character. And as long as, you know, he keeps this same spirit and stuff, listen, I'm once again, I'm a continuity person. I prefer Kermit to always sound the same, but once again, Steve Whitmire's Kermit did not sound like Jim Henson's Kermit. We got uh, 100%. Yeah, we got used to Steve's Kermit, but it wasn't Jim's. So, you know, now we've got another one that I can hear where he's trying to be Kermit. 
Um, but it's not the same. So I think we need to get used to that. Sorry if this is a weird tangent. Um, but No, I'm with it because even Jim Henson's – listen to Kermit in the – the original Muppet movie, and then listen to it in, uh, you know, Muppets Take Manhattan, and it's totally different. <laughs> like, he doesn't even sound, I mean, he sounds like Kermit, don't get me wrong, but you can tell that there's an evolution even within the performer himself. So, yeah, I get what you're saying, that the, the new Kermit is a little little jarring at first. But yeah. You're right. I think this will help us to inoculate us to, to him. Um, the Forky episodes, I'm curious about. Um, I loved the character of Forky. I thought he was super fun, original in the same, and you know, you get those sort of bumbling sidekicks and they're all kind of the same after a while. So to kind of have a fresh take on that, which I feel like Forky really did was and did for us, um, is rare. I'm just hoping we don't have the Mater effect here. Mm -hmm. A little bit goes a long way. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tony Hale over Larry the Cable Guy any day. So. <laughs> well, yes, yes. Uh, and I, I figure we can end the movie section where the park section will begin. Oh, well, uh, well, we got to touch upon High School Musical, the musical, the series. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Okay, <laughs> can I just say the most meta plot for a television show I have ever heard? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but this does not in- exist in the world where troy bolton exists it exists in a world where zach efron exists and this is the high school where high school musical was filmed and they're like how has this high school never put on high school musical as their spring show or whatever so let's do high school musical at the school where high school musical was filmed like that is so meta yeah, I'm obsessed with this idea. It does make it a miniseries more than a series, in my opinion. And I don't see how you can have a season two of this, unless they just decide to put on the same musical every year at their school with a new batch of kids. I don't know. But I love it. And I, I specifically want to mention it because they opened the Disney Plus presentation with a huge live performance from the cast of High School Musical, the musical the series, which is my favorite title to say. And uh, it was just so high energy and really set the mood and i was like yeah i'm a d23 expo like it was it was awesome and i'm excited for that show and i have a very weird relationship with high school musical but <laughs> high school musical the musical the series well i can tell you it's really easy to have season two and season three because you got to do high school musical two, the musical the series and high school musical <laughs> three the musical the series that's right that's yeah. right All right, well, like I said, I want to end in the same place we're going to start the park stuff, and that's with Star Wars. So we know at Disney+, Plus there's coming a series called The Mandalorian, as well as a new series starring Ewan McGregor as uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, I assume older than he is in the prequels, and younger than he is. Eight years after episode three. Well, there you go, eight years. And then also at the back of the studios panel, they, they revealed a new poster for... The Rise of Skywalker. I don't think there were a ton of new details, but the whole cast got together for the, I think, probably the first time since they stopped shooting. So I, from what I understand, it was kind of an emotional experience to get them all back together on stage. Well, is yeah, this it's... the first time we saw the trailer? No, they've had a trailer from Star Wars Celebration. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the trailer was like compilations of clips from other Star Wars films with just a few new nuggets tied in. Yeah, like Bad Ray. Yeah. And Red Eye C-3PO. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> 
No, the Mandalorian looks really good. Um, I, it's funny to me because I got excited about the Mandalorian series and then I got eh from the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. And maybe it's just because that character... I don't know. I did not like that character in the prequels at all. And I understand you have to have like the straight man who always follows the rules, who kind of always, you know, does his thing. And then isn't that Obi-Wan in the prequels? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, he's constantly getting onto Anakin. That's true. Yeah, and but he's he, like, oh, shut up. Yeah, uh, my favorite moment of his is in Star Wars Episode Three when, you know, he has that moment with Anakin Skywalker where they're on that lava planet, and he's, like, "You were the chosen one. You were supposed to destroy the Sith, not join them." And I'm just like, "Yes." That was a good impression. It really was. That's that's my Obi-Wan Kenobi for you. Well, I'm kind of happy for Ewan McGregor because he can finally play Obi-Wan Kenobi with, like, halfway decent dialogue in just one project, <laughs> please. And I will say, he seemed genuinely excited to be doing it. Like, he seemed happy to be returning to that character. And, you know, I don't know if everybody would feel that way because, let's face it, the prequels have taken a lot of crap through the years. I don't have those same feelings that a lot of people do. I, I like them. I enjoy them. But um, somebody is listening right now, like, screaming. Because they're like, okay, this guy likes the prequels and doesn't like Marvel. Kill me and kick him off the show. That's what's happening right now. But um, I really... I, th- I think he's excited to do it. And I-, I love the fact that he loved playing the character enough to return to it. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I do love how pretty much across the board, actors and actresses are so honored just to be part of the Star Wars franchise, either because they grew up with it or because it's so known around the world that it's an honor. I love that. Not the yeah. guy who played Jar Jar, though. He's he's not excited to return. You know what? I've heard he has actually like come to terms. Uh, from what Good. I understand, he went to severe depression. and like Yeah, it was suicidal and everything. Suicidal. Yeah, and I think he's... Last I heard, like he's he's come to terms and he's you know honored once again and good. Uh, and that's re- let's can we just say that's really sad to think that uh, fan response can obviously there's a lot more to this than just that. But you know we shouldn't be pushing actors to suicidal moments or or even as little as feeling like they need to delete their Twitter accounts. Like yeah. I was just thinking, thank goodness Twitter was not around when Phantom Menace came out because he would have felt three times as suicidal, probably. Yeah, exactly. I I only chuckle because of the ridiculousness that we even have to make such a statement. That's the only reason I was chuckling there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but like I said, Star Wars was also a big part of, the, well, not a big part, but it was part of the parks and resorts panel. So let's talk about some parks and resorts stuff. This is the stuff I'm most interested in as a parks fan. And they, they talked more about the Star Wars resort that is coming. It has a name. It's called Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. Everything Star Wars related has to have a colon. Like, I don't get it. Everything has a colon. Because we need <laughs> to know that it's Star Wars related. How would you ever know from the name Galactic Star Cruiser? Oh, Derek, let me of... ask you this, because you're like a proofreader, right? Or yes. something like that. Yeah. So, d- does Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run drive you crazy? Because should should it be apostrophe S in Smuggler's? Is there no apostrophe at all? I don't think there is. Maybe it's a sentence like, have you heard of Smuggler's? Smuggler's Run. <laughs> it's a I lot don't... of smugglers running. That's what it is. Um, yeah, no, uh, by the way, that's the, the title of this episode. Everything has a colon. Yes. There you go. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser is going to be a first-of-its-kind vacation experience where you check in for a two-night adventure aboard a starship. I, I got to tell you, when they I was watching a live stream of this panel. When they announced this, my first thought was like, ugh. So over Star Wars, I just I I I it's going to be great. I know it, but Galaxy's Edge kind of disappointed on both coasts as far as crowds go, and now they're expecting this to have people come all the way to Florida and spend two nights outside the parks and not even go to the parks, but instead be part of this hotel experience. I just I don't know. This will work for a year or two, and then it will drastically change because your average family especially someone who's going to come and spend the kind of money that it's expected to spend at a Star Wars resort, they're not going to come from, you know, Nebraska and not go to any of the parks. Like, they're going to want to go to the parks as well as stay in the Star Wars resort. So the fact that you have to check in and then your experience is limited inside the resort is weird to me. There's a couple of thoughts on this. Number one... I think it's a tactic to get you to extend your Walt Disney World vacation because you're, like you said, you're going to go to the other parks. You're going to go to the theme parks. So this means you need to add two days to your vacation. Uh, Number two, I think you're right that it's a partially a mistake making it part of Walt Disney World. I think it would have been interesting if they built this in New York City or in Chicago or in Boston or San Francisco or somewhere where there's not a Disney theme park. I think... I think it would have, I don't want to say done better. I think it would have had longer staying power. Uh, It kind of reminds me of a Disney quest where, and once again, I'm kind of contradicting myself because they tried that in Chicago and it didn't do well. But I don't know. I feel like it could have a better home outside of Walt Disney World. I'm sure it's going to be impressive. Like you said, like the Star Wars overkill yeah, I might have that. And what are we still three or four years off with this thing, right? And yeah. who knows by that point. And then, you know, my buddy Preston said something I hadn't even thought about. But once you're in space, you're in space. And the only way to get back to Earth is through a pod. So once you're in this building, you are in this building with no windows to the outside world. And I am concerned about people getting serious cabin fever. Yeah, it's it's very real possible. I, you do get to go to Batu, like you know, every cruise has a excursion, and that's what they're calling it. Like you have a little excursion on the planet of Batu. Is that not at the end of the two days? Oh, it might be. It might be. I assumed, and I could be wrong. You may be right. Maybe it's in the middle of the thing that you have to take a you know a little spaceship back down to Earth or to Batu rather. And uh, but I thought that that was like the way that your experience ended was you come back or er, visit Batu. And then miraculously go from Batu to Earth without a spaceship. Um, the flip side of that is you might have a, um, might be like a casino, you know, where people can go in there and lose track of time. The oxygen's being pumped in and no watches, no, you know, so you, you don't know. And you blink and it's two days later. Yeah. Yeah, it, it may be the case. It'll be, you know, I have full faith it's going to be high quality. The concern I have at this moment is just like the promises they're making sound very similar to promises we were given for Galaxy's Edge that didn't come to reality. Stuff like we're going to be tracking your every move and we'll know if you're on the good side or the bad side. I'm like, okay, still haven't seen that in Galaxy's Edge. And stuff like, oh, there's going to be aliens everywhere. I'm like, okay, well, that's not happening at Galaxy's Edge. So my concern is just like how much of the, the cool, unique stuff that they're currently talking about will actually happen and i don't know the answer to that question nobody does 
Yeah, we'll see. I, I actually think it'd be a lot of fun, and I'd probably enjoy diving into that world for two days with no access to the outside world. But money-wise, families are just going to have to choose between the parks and this, and I I can't see a lot of families just choosing this and not doing the parks. So It's not going to be choose between the parks and this. It's going to be choose between do you bring your kids with you to Walt Disney World or do you as an adult decide to spend the money? Because from what I hear, this is going to be expensive. Right, yeah. Yeah, and I think that, like I said, the the hardcore Star Wars fans will keep this sort of idea alive for a year or two, and then it's going to drastically drop off. Because the average Walt Disney World family that they are attempting to reach, which, you know, because they, they've kind of made it clear that the fanboys matter, but they're not our target audience. And, you know, we're looking for families that want to come and spend seven days here and, you know, once-in-a-lifetime trips. I can't see them buying into this idea. I wouldn't be surprised if after a couple of years it becomes a one night experience for mm. much cheaper. Mm-hmm. I, which you know, that's expensive too because like turnover of rooms and just you know there's always a benefit of keeping one person in an experience for double the time. Uh, you know you'll save money, but getting people to unless they drastically drop the price. I mean they haven't given us a price, but I'm hearing like three thousand dollars for the two nights. Yeah, I mean, I would not be surprised by that, but that's insane. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about Epcot, because this was kind of the park that a lot of people thought would be getting a ton of attention at the expo, and it did get quite a bit. I think probably the biggest, well, there's a lot of big news. So they first of all said that Future World will be no more, which I kept saying, like, there's no way that they could keep that section of the park with the name Future World. It just, it's not relevant anymore. It made no sense. So instead, Epcot will now have four neighborhoods. There's still World Showcase, which will be pretty much the same. There's going to be World Nature, World Discovery, and World Celebration. So I figure as we talk about the news, we can split it up into those four sections. So starting with World Celebration, this is sort of the middle of Future World, so basically from the entrance all the way straight back to the lagoon, you've got Spaceship Earth, which will be transformed with new scenes, uh, there's going to be a new narration, and I don't really understand what they were talking about, because you know the theme of Spaceship Earth is communication, but they act like the theme's going to change a little bit to reflect the universal nature of the human experience, I don't know what that means. I, yeah, I don't either, because you're right. They did say the theme was going to change, and, and to me that was like a red flag of, oh no, some of our favorite scenes are going to be gone. But then they're like, no, these scenes are staying. They're being enhanced. So I'm sure there are portions that will be changed. But yeah, I don't know. That'll be interesting to see. I'm just really happy that it's remaining Spaceship Earth. Our good friend Aaron Wallace said something to me that scared the crap out of me. Uh, a private conversation that I'm sure he wouldn't mind making public. But that, so he just simply made the fact, or the statement that, you know, it's known that it's going down for a long period of time which means major change and major change could mean got it like just different attraction like marvel or something like that so the fact that it's remaining spaceship earth i'm happy about what i'm honestly hoping is going to take the most time i just hope they put a new ride system in uh, not necessarily a new ride system but a, a a completely new track vehicles and such it's loud it's yeah. really loud. And, you know, it's basically a similar system to Haunted Mansion or, um, you know, Little Mermaid or whatever. And 
but it's much louder, uh, and I think it's there's no floor to it, really. We're seeing the whole track in Spaceport. So I would love to see something done with that and just update that ride system. And honestly, I'd, I'd be happy with just that. But uh, I'm, I'm excited to see the enhancements. Very curious who the new narrator will be. Uh, I am available if anybody at Disney is listening. <laughs> I would love that voiceover gig. Uh, it's yeah. down to you or Gilbert Gottfried, so you're fine. Thank the Phoenicians! So World Celebration is also going to have uh, Dreamers Point Gardens, which will have the the new wishing tree, an interactive new fountain, I'm guessing where the old one was, and a new statue of the man himself, Walt Disney. I love this idea. Love it. I, I love the pose he has of just like sitting on the steps with his hands just kind of resting on his knees. I, I like the idea of, of a Walt statue in every park. Um, but, you know, a lot of varying opinions online about this statue, which surprised me. And I get it that Epcot is not Walt's vision as he actually had the vision. But you could say that about a lot of things in Disney parks. And, you know, the fact that, uh, I mean, in reality, Epcot is nowhere near what Walt wanted. But but I think we can still celebrate the fact that it's, it's a, a step into the forward progress of of humanity, which is what he wanted. Um, so, you know, I like that it's an older Walt as well, the, the statue, that we have young Walt, you know, at California Adventure. We have sort of middle-aged Walt there in uh, Magic Kingdom, and now this Walt appears to be, you know, an elder Walt, uh, which is which is kind of cool to see the progression of his journey. And how do we know that the statue won't be beside a plaque that says, you know, the Epcot you're standing in is not really what Walt imagined, but basically it wouldn't exist without his original idea, and here's what his original idea was, yada yada. I mean, with people with that argument, my argument against that would simply be, it's in a place called, what, Dreamer's Point, I believe? Yes. Right? Yes. I mean, the ultimate dreamer, Mm -hmm. not only in in Disney history, but like American history, is Walt Disney. So it's a very fitting location, in my opinion. I like the fact that, you know, when they built the statue for Disney California Adventure, they one of the big things that they pressed upon was like, you know, unlike the partner statue that we love in the Magic Kingdom parks, we he's up on a pedestal there. We, we can't touch him. We can't get near him. And now this Walt is down on the ground with you as he was in 1920s. Um, and, and I love that idea of, you know, him being among the everyman. And I love the fact that, like you said, this is older Walt who is still among the everyman in an even more casual sense. He's like sitting there in what looks like a very just comfortable, you know, breathing in the air pose. Like, and we can just sit next to him, even though at this point he's one of the most famous men in the world, you know? So I don't know. I, I loved everything about this. This was probably my favorite announcement they made about Epcot. I think it's fantastic. I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to mention, you said the wishing tree. They're putting in something, the wishing tree. And I missed that detail before because I don't know if you know this, but in Marceline, Missouri, uh, he had his wishing tree, which I, uh, I've visited before. And I know at one point they sold seedlings of that tree. And I'm very curious as to whether or not the wishing tree that will be in Epcot will be from a seedling uh, in Marceline. That would be awesome. Yeah, I didn't even put that name together but yeah i do know of that tree so also in the world celebration section 
Uh, this is the one I, I was kind of surprised by, but it does make sense. So right before you get to the lagoon, there's that huge just open space that at night is used for special viewing for illuminations. But during the day, I mean, it's just a huge space of concrete that or uh, asphalt or whatever that is not really used for anything and it's always wide open well now there's actually going to be a structure a three level structure that's going to go right there uh they promise it's going to have one of the most remarkable designs at any disney park and it will become a new icon for epcot i don't know if that means instead of spaceship earth or just like one of epcot's many icons but it's going to be the home base for all of the festivals that epcot has and it's going to have an ideal um, viewing location for the park's nighttime spectacular. Now, wait a second. Are you saying this is a brand new building? Because in my mind, when I kept seeing this, I thought this was going to take over that often unused space, like when you're heading toward World Showcase to the left. No, there so that, you that is the Odyssey, and they announced that the Odyssey will be the new location for uh, like an Epcot preview. It. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to find where it said that the Walt Disney Imagineering presents the Epcot experience. And that is going to be in the Odyssey Events Pavilion. And it's going to have a bunch of uh, models and videos showing what's to come in the next three or four years at Epcot. So does that mean that we're going to lose that spectacular view of the American Adventure? I think so, unless you go inside this building. Oh, I don't know how I feel about that. I'm actually okay. Like, you won't be able to see American Adventure way back from, like, the Fountain of Nations, which... Which in, won't exist, right, right? Right, right. But, like, you won't be able to see it as you're walking towards World Showcase because this building will be in the way. But okay. once you go in this building, you can go up to the third story and get a really great view of it. So I don't know. It's So that's World Celebration. What's the area where Spaceship Earth is? What's that's that World Celebration. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. So that basically that whole center strip is all world celebration. Exactly. So let's go over to the right-hand side. This will be world nature, which makes sense because you've got the seas pavilion, you've got the land pavilion, and they announced for this section there's going to be Journey of Water, the first ever attraction inspired by Moana. And it will let guests interact with magical living water in a walkthrough exploration trail type setting. You also got Figment over there. I hope Moana isn't replacing Figment. That is where those uh, jumping fountains are. Yeah, it is. That's interesting because Journey to Imagination doesn't really fit with world nature. No, it does not. It does not. Uh... If you look at maps, there seems to be a division. And there, I think I've heard somebody, I forget who, saying they're building like a pathway to separate, uh, you know... Uh, journey into imagination from the other things so i don't know i could see it going many different ways but like if moana replaces even the current journey into imagination i will not be happy because rick moranis is gone because rick moranis <laughs> is gone yeah. what if rick moranis is hanging out with moana mm. i mean if it's a meet and greet then i'd say bye bye figment <laughs> <laughs> moana moranis uh this sounds like um it, I, I think this has potential to be really cool. Um, if they can do some sort of like a water feature, like what's at Poseidon's Fury um, over at Alice Adventure, that would be really sweet. Easily the best part of that attraction. 
This is just a outdoor walkthrough thing. Yes, but do you know the water feature he's talking about where you walk through the tunnel of water spinning around you? Oh, that part. I thought you were talking about the projection stuff in the finale. No, okay. no. I go, get out of here. Poseidon's Fury is one of the most underrated theme park attractions of all time. It's brilliant. I will say, if it's a whole walkthrough thing with elements that are all as good as that water tunnel, yeah, that's this might be kind of cool. But I'm just afraid it's going to be kind of hokey, and after two years, certain things will stop working, and they'll have trouble like getting them to work on a regular basis, and that'll be frustrating. I mean, they released concept art, and... It doesn't look like much more to me than like jumping fountains and stuff like that with colored lights. Um, oh boy. And it seems like Moana will probably be at the end for a meet and greet. Sure. Oh, for sure. It. Rem- I mean, when I hear of it, it just looks, sounds like a, you know, a better Pixie Hollow. Have you ever experienced Pixie Hollow at, at Disneyland? I mean, where Tinkerbell's at the end and you're walking through giant blades of grass with some water fountains and stuff. I mean, that's kind of what it sounds like. I get that sense, too. Like an outdoor interventions exhibit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but also, the last thing for World Nature, they just announced that the new film Awesome Planet that's coming to the Land Pavilion will officially open in January 2020. So we're only a few months away at this point. Is that sponsored at Na- by National Geographic at this point? Right. The poster sure makes it look like it is. I don't know. Hey, but the, every time I go by there, I kind of peek around the curtain, and it uh, looks like the wall carpet is still there, so we're okay. Oh, thank goodness. Important things. Okay, and then the final section that used to be fu- Future World, you've got World Celebration, World Nature, and World Discovery. And this is over on the other side where uh, Mission Space is and where the new space restaurant will be known as Space 220. That's its official name. The Play Pavilion, of course, where it's going where Wonders of Life used to be. We we already have some news about that. And the Guardians of the Galaxy Coaster, which we got some more news about this. Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind. It will feature the first reverse launch. And it will feature a never-before-seen storytelling coaster that rotates to focus on the action. Not at all like Gringotts, obviously. <laughs> Can't be, because it's never-before-seen. Yeah, that's the over-promising. No, the backward launch scares me, to be honest. Really? I think that sounds awesome. And also, I really like that name, Cosmic Rewind, because it also it also makes you think of like rewinding cassette tapes, which is very Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, indeed. I think that's where they were going with <laughs> No, that. I know, I know, but I just <laughs> I thought that was clever. I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's World Discovery. There you go. Mission Space, or yeah, Mission Space, Guardians of the Galaxy, Play Pavilion, and Space 220, the restaurant. And Let's Test Track play- there still, right? True. Yes, oh, yeah, you're right. Track. You're right. Let's play a quick little game <laughs> because I want to know what you think. So we've got the partner statue in, in Disneyland Magic Kingdom Parks. We have storytellers at Disney California Adventure. What do you think the name of the statue will be of Walt and Epcot? Dreamers. Right? Is that the name of the statue? It's Dreamers Point. Is that the name of the statue? I mean, it, it would make sense. Partners, storytellers, dreamers, right? Shouldn't it just be Dreamer? Sure. Wait, but wait, I mean, just him with his suitcase is called the Storytellers, right? No, Mickey's there. Mickey's there. Oh, that's right. That's right. Maybe Mickey is, like, in his pocket or something. (laughs) Like a little Mickey model that he carved or something. Okay. 
<laughs> Did you know that he was a carver in his spare time? He whittled. So what if they decide to call the statue of Walt disappointed since it's not Walt's original <laughs> vision of Ep- that it's definitely either dreamer or disappointed. One of the two. <laughs> it's one of those. Anyway, the fourth section at Epcot, of course, is World Showcase. We got a few new, few news items. The new Canada film will open in January. It's called Canada Far and Wide. Hey, BTW, I had no idea the the current version is already gone. Oh, I didn't either. They they uh, shut it down. Apparently, because now they're using that as a serving area for. Um... Food and wine. Oh, I did see that. Yeah, I was really kind of upset that they didn't like announce it because I would have definitely gone and seen Martin Short one more time. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, R.I.P. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, and the new China film will be called Wondrous China. They announced that Remy's Ratatouille Adventure will be open to guests next summer. And so will La Creperie de Paris, which is the new table service crepe serving location it will open in the summer of 2020 as well and then the big news that i think surprised a lot of people was that world showcase will welcome the first attraction inspired by mary poppins which will be featured in an all-new neighborhood called cherry tree lane that's obviously going to be designed to look like the famous cherry tree lane in the movie I think that's the more exciting part, more so than the attraction. They they didn't really get into details of the attraction, but from what I've been hearing after that is that it's simply a carousel, which is fine, whatever. Uh, for like Mary Poppins fans will love that. But I think more exciting is Cherry Tree Lane. Uh, I think that'll be a be- beautiful visual. And if I was a diehard Mary Poppins fan, I feel like that's what I would be more excited about than a carousel. Oh, for sure. I actually had to go back and watch it two or three times to make sure that the attraction itself was not Cherry Tree Lane. Because they kept saying attraction, but then they would only say there are these buildings that look like Cherry Tree Lane. And I'm like, guys, that's not an attraction. But then I think I finally picked up on the fact that there is an attraction coming. They just didn't give any details on it. I think the coolest thing with with the Cherry Tree Lane is going to be, I love when Disney is able to bring generations together. So you're going to have grandmas who grew up watching Mary Poppins, and then you're going to have grandchildren that maybe only associate Mary Poppins with the most recent film, and they're going to be able to share this moment. I think we're going to start seeing a new Mary Poppins in the park. I think once that opens, I wouldn't be surprised if we start getting costumes more from Mary Poppins Returns. I noticed that the poster they revealed at the expo was the Emily Blunt version of Mary Poppins with her blue overcoat. There we go possible and uh we also got the announcement of the brazil pavilion right yeah nope <laughs> nope everybody was so sure that was coming and then it was like Ew. i did joke that after this whole thing was over i expected like you know when the oscar nominations come out and everybody posts where was their nomination and their nomination all the snubs and i'm like i really did did need one for the d20 theory expo about all the rumors that actually were not announced uh but anyway. yeah And then the last piece of news for Epcot, they talked about Epcot Forever coming this summer, and they announced, or we already knew, a new Nighttime Spectacular was going to replace Epcot Forever as early as next year, but now we know the name of it, Harmonious, with the U.S. being capitalized, because it's, I don't know. Because the United States is the greatest nation in the world. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's so funny, I didn't even think about that. Well, I saw a lot of people, again, God bless the Twitter, uh, kind of poo-pooing on this. But you cannot tell me in 
nine when illuminations was started that people weren't like what a stupid name for a nighttime show so i'm sure you know it'll grow on us and we won't think twice about it oh i love it yeah i'm okay with it yeah i don't have to think twice about it at all i think it's great uh you know i'm very sad about losing the musical score of illuminations but that the live performance they gave us of that new song it was beautiful gave me chills thought it was great the thing I'm a little concerned about is I think Epcot Forever is going to be very loved. And oh, I think when that sure. goes away, people are going to be sad. I'm really excited about Epcot Forever. Yeah. Yeah. But I think Harmonious will be a bigger spectacle. Like, I think Epcot Absolutely. Forever is going to be very nostalgic and have so many great memories from Epcot's past and present. Whereas Harmonious, they are straight up promising that it is going to be the largest nighttime spectacular ever created for a Disney park. And it's going to include uh, familiar Disney tunes. It says they're going to be reinterpreted by a diverse group of artists from around the globe. It's going to feature massive floating set pieces, custom-built LED panels, choreographed moving fountains, lights, pyrotechnics, lasers. It's going to be a spectacle, for sure. I think it's just such a huge space to fill. Like, you know, that that is a massive body of water that they have there. So even with a giant globe in the center, you know, like, that was tiny. So I uh, I hope that Harmonious can fill the lake in a in a grand spectacle way. But you know what I would love to see? I would really love... You know how, like, before Star Wars Galactic Spectacular at Disney's Hollywood Studios, they show the... What's called movie magic? Or what's yeah. that projection show? Yeah. So, like, they have this little projection show before the big one. I kind of hope that's what Epcot Forever becomes. Aww. I hope they just kind of keep that. Even though it's redundant and ridiculous and I complain about it all the time. Like, I think it's stupid to have so many of the same thing. I just kind of think I'm going to love Epcot forever. It might be good. It might be good. Because the two songs they played were Tomorrow's Child and... Magic Journeys? Magic Journeys, yes, yes. Yeah. So it's like, oh, wow, classic Epcot. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Disney's Reflections Resort, which is the new, the upcoming Magic Kingdom Resort area resort. Magic Kingdom area resort. Uh, it's going to feature a restaurant. Inspired by the Princess and the Frog. So that's news. Mm-hmm. Again, why are we not putting this in French Quarter? Who knows, but whatever. Why are we not putting it in New Orleans Square at Disneyland? Mm. There's already a French market there that they could easily redesign and rename as as uh, Tiana's. Yeah, but that space, though. I feel like this is going to be much grander than what French Market would allow for. I gotta be honest, though, the design from what I've seen, uh, what they showed us, is not reminiscent of Tiana's at all, or Princess and the Frog at all to me. So, to me, it felt very off the mark. Hmm. Over at Disney Springs, they talked more about the new Cirque du Soleil show that is coming. Of course, the old show closed quite a while ago to make room for this new one, and we got more details about the new show, which will debut in the spring of 2020. It says, for the first time, Walt Disney Imagineering and Walt Disney Animation Studios joined forces with Cirque du Soleil to create a show that combines Disney storytelling and heart with Cirque du Soleil's signature artistry. It's a tale of a young girl whose father is a Disney animator. Because of this, she has grown up with the characters, and her dad finds a way to send her on a jury journey into the world of Disney animation. And she's also going to be on a jury. 
<laughs> it's just an hour of jury duty. That's all it is. Uh, no, this to me, again, one of those things when it was announced that I was like, this should have been announced years ago. Like, this is the perfect fit. And this is a good idea to incorporate Disney characters and music into something that is borderline Disney. I agree. It makes me want to, for the first time, take time out of my Disney vacation to go watch Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, I Cirque du Soleil is interesting to me because it's like such grand spectacle and stuff. But other than Ka, which if you ever have the chance to see Ka in Las Vegas, it's phenomenal. But every other Cirque du Soleil show I've seen, I've seen it once and I've been like, eh, I'm done. Ka has been a repeat visit for me. And part of that is because they tend to not have super strong story. Uh, Ka does. Ka has a nice story. And it sounds like this one will as well. I'm also very excited because, you know, Disney animator Eric Goldberg is working on this one and he came out to talk about it. And he's one of the last, if not the last, hand drawing uh, animators at Walt Disney Animation Studios on a full time basis. And it's interesting to see what kind of projects they throw him because they're not making those features anymore. So like this Halloween season, he's worked on uh, the Oogie Boogie Bash World of Color Villainous. And I was really happy to hear about he's working on Cirque du Soleil as well. I'm kind of curious to see what happens when Eric Goldberg retires. If, you know, hand-drawn animation retires with him, retires as well. Yeah. Uh, Because every time there's something hand-drawn, it's always Eric Goldberg who's mentioned. Didn't he work on uh, th- uh, Three Caballeros for uh, Grand Fiesta Tour? Quite possibly. Uh, I mean, his most famous character is Genie from Aladdin. But he, whenever there's anything hand-drawn in the parks these days, it seems to be him or special projects or whatever. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that's it for the Walt Disney World news that I thought was worth mentioning. Um, I, we're not really a Disneyland podcast, but the one thing I did want to mention is the fact that everyone kept saying maybe Walt Disney World is getting a new nighttime parade, but instead we got the news that Disneyland is getting a new daytime parade called Magic Happens featuring music uh, from Todrick Hall. Yeah, which is super exciting. Yeah, it's interesting. But it's gonna the floats are going to feature Moana, Coco, Sleeping Beauty. So some new stuff there. I loved the judgment in your voice when you're like, we're not really a Disneyland podcast, but... (laughs) Well, just because, like, we've already talked for an hour about Walt Disney World news, so there's definitely stuff I'm excited about at Disneyland, but I'd rather focus on Walt Disney World, for this show, at least. Yeah, the parade, it's, you know, it's another parade of mix-and-match Disney properties, and, you know, the the music's fine. It's, um, I'm sure it'll be great. Cool. I do feel like the last several parades at the Disney parks have been surprisingly good. Like, I've always been very pleased with the last two or three iterations of a Disney parade. They're they're very good parades. I want better than good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Fair. Yes. You know, they're, they're, they're very predictable. They're very safe. And, um, you know, the predictable and safe is like happy words for investors. Yeah. You know what I mean? True. And when they're so. not, they just bring out the old Main Street Electrical. <laughs> Don't even get me going on that. I am livid about the fact that they have spent the money to bring back the Main Street Electrical Parade, and we have lost the Red Car Trolley Newsboys, and now we're losing the Pixarmonic Orchestra, as well as the performers over at the Golden Hers- Horseshoe. Don't even get me going. Okay, we won't. All right, we won't. We won't. Calm down. Calm down. All right, so that's it for the news. Thank you. 
While we're talking about the D23 Expo, it's important to note that one of the most notable panels that happens every year is the Disney Legends panel. This is when a small handful of people who have been chosen to receive the Disney Legend Award are presented with the award, and they give a short speech. It's very nice. And so to close out this week's episode, we want to talk more in depth about this award, and we've never really discussed it on this show, so we want to present what it is, why it's significant, some of the names who have received it, and more. So, Jeremy, if someone asked you what the Disney Legend Award is, how would you explain it? Well, I will be glad to tell you that the Disney Legends Award is an award given to people deemed legendary in the eyes of the Disney company. But that being said, uh, it's basically, it's it's an awards program that recognizes individuals who have uh, given extraordinary contributions to the Walt Disney Company, whether it's through their entertainment side as far as films and television goes, maybe it's through Imagineering, maybe it's through uh, the resorts and parks. Um, So these are people who have made their way up uh, the ladder to some sort of recognition. They've they've made a landmark uh, impact in the company. Now, you could argue that in recent years, since they've started honoring this, at the D23 convention, that it also is a lot of celebrity as well. So people who, you know, have maybe been a part of the Disney company, but have a name and a following that's going to bring some attention to the fact that they're receiving this award. But uh, it's a, it's an honor to say the least. Yeah, I do want to get into that into a sec- in a second. I didn't realize there's an actual statuette. For- I did not realize that there's an actual statuette for this. And it's Mickey's arm holding a very long star-tipped wand. Uh, so recipients receive that. They also get a bronze plaque with their handprints and signature on it. And they get a lifetime pass to all Disney theme parks. That is not true. It's not? Oh, no. That's no. what Wikipedia said, though. So it has to be true. Yeah, that's a major rumor. I actually did an episode uh, with somebody who is somehow involved with Disney Legend Awards. Um, when they announced this year's honorees, we did a whole episode about this year's honorees. And the history of the Disney Legend Award, and that is a rumor that has spread that they get this lifetime pass. They do not get a lifetime pass. Well, there you go. Well, that's, I mean, they should. Like, what What would that cost Disney? Nothing. They probably get them free anyways, because, like I said, most of them are celebrities now. They come and get their little tour guide and go. Those oh, aren't wow. free. The tour guides are very expensive. Yeah. I, let's be honest, though. I mean. Yeah, it's a drop on the hat for them, I'm sure. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, if Christina Aguilera called and said, hey, I want to go to Disneyland tomorrow, I don't think she's paying. I don't know. I do. I do, too. I do think she's really? paying. Really? Yeah. 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 But the plaques that they get are actually uh, placed on display at the Walt Disney Studios in Burbank. Is that correct? Five minutes from where I am right now. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. Uh, okay, so let's talk about the award. And, Jeremy, you talked about... Um, today versus when it first started back in 1987 how would you say that the award either of you how would you say the award has changed in the last 32 years i mean for me it's became something that people didn't talk about to something that people do talk about ever since it became a public thing it used to be a very private award ceremony on the lot honoring these well-deserved people and now it's become more of a marketing thing in my mind. I know some people would disagree with me. I apologize to Aaron Wallace, who's probably listening right now and uh, has heard me say this a billion times, but I, I think it's a marketing thing. I mean, the 
best example of that is Christina Aguilera getting it this year. To me, that's just like, hey, don't forget, we have a new Mulan movie coming out this year, in a year or so. So uh, that's the biggest difference. And it's lo- as, as amazing an honor it is, and I don't mean to t- take that away from anybody, it's lost some of its uh, importance, in my opinion. I could tell you the biggest difference um, is think about the names that were honored this year compared to the names that were honored in the first two years, 1987 and 1989, of the award. And think about the general percep- the general public's perception and knowledge of these people. So today, you know, you had Christina Aguilera, Bette Midler. In 1987, 1989, you're having... Les Clark, Mark Davis of iWorks, Fred McMurray. Those are names that your average general public is not going to know. Even your average Disney fan probably doesn't even know those names. So you never see how the award has evolved, like like Jeff was saying, to appeal more to a mass market. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that in 1989, they honored 10 men. Nine of them were Walt Disney's nine old men. And then of iWorks was the other one. But I also have to point out that like it's evolved a lot because there are so many more arms of the company now with ABC and Lucasfilm and Marvel. So it, it is just like it's way more expansive than just Parks animation, you know? Yeah, I wish that. Sorry, I, I was going to say I wish that they let it be known what their rules are as far because I don't think that there really are any like for me a good example was I think it was the year that Disney purchased Lucasfilm it's the same year that Mark Hamill became a Disney legend and Carrie Fisher and George Lucas and stuff and like in George Lucas's case I can say you know what he's been doing stuff with the company since 1986 1987 for Star Tours uh, and Captain Neo and stuff like that but uh, just making Luke Skywalker and and Princess Leia Disney legends because they spent several billion dollars to purchase that. To me, that's not a legend. I recognize the legend uh, status within Star Wars, but, but Disney just buying Star Wars doesn't make it Disney legends to me. It comes down to opinion. A lot of people would disagree with me with that, but that's how I feel. I just wish that we there was some insight as to how this is voted on, and you know, the one of the, I think the person that created this award was Roy E. Disney, Walt's nephew, and without him and without a lot of those people uh, who were originally voting, I just think it's the nature of who they're putting giving that award to has changed drastically, and yeah. not in a favorable way, in my opinion. Because I think this year, with all the names you mentioned, Jeremy, and Robert Denny Jr. and John Favreau, I think out of those dozen or so names, only two were Parks and Resorts related, and the rest were, like, notable celebrities. For sure. Yeah, you definitely can see a change in the award uh, come 2009, that the names become less Disney-focused and more, hey, this is a celebrity, which is fine. I mean, not to take away from from anybody you know and their contributions but james earl jones outside of mufasa and darth vader which jeff just made the case against star wars what 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 else has he contributed to the walt disney company to make him a legend yeah sometimes there are surprising areas they were involved in that you're like oh yeah i didn't even 
recall that that was necessarily Disney, but like, and I wasn't at the award ceremony. I opted out of it this year. Uh, but from what I understand, like Christina Aguilera's little film reel introduction was like, she was on MMC, the new Mickey Mouse Club, and she sang a song in Mulan. And like, <laughs> like all right. Yeah. So Walt Disney today would be like, wow, thank you for your contributions to our company. Yeah. Legend. <laughs> I do like they have had some cool themed years. Like you mentioned when all the Star Wars people were. Uh, given the award, but back in 1997, it was the fifth anniversary of Disneyland Paris, so they only uh, acknowledged people of European origin, which I thought was cool. The year Disneyland turned 50, all the recipients were parks and resorts related. Um, so I do like they, I do like that they go out of their way to involve all arms of the company, but just the last three or four times, it hasn't necessarily felt that way. So. Yeah, I mean, to get to legendary status, and this is, you know, obviously an opinion thing again, but when you buy something like Marvel or Lucasfilm, does that make you immediately legendary, or do you need to be part of the company for, like, 30 years to really be... Like, I don't know. Like, honestly, the next Disney Legends ceremony, I expect people from The Simpsons to become Disney Legends, mm. and... I don't love that idea, but if if that's the way they're voting, that's what I expect. So as you looked at this list of winners, were there any names that stuck out to you? Either, oh, of course, I'm so glad they have one, or like Christina Aguilera, what in the world is that person doing on this list? Well, I think for me, the best year in recent times would have been 2009. Um, first off, all four Golden Girls were were voted in, uh, three of which were, well, at that time, I guess only two were posthumously. Uh, yeah, I was at that one. Betty White was there. Rue McClanahan was living but could not attend, could not. if I'm remembering correctly. And she would have died later that year, actually. Okay. Or, or B. Arthur would have died. Because it was Estelle Getty died first, then B. Arthur, then Rue, and then Betty is still with us. Yeah. So... Anyway, or B. Arthur, excuse me, not Betty Arthur. Um, but then also you had like um, Don Iwerks, who was who was uh, the son of Ub Iwerks, who has done a lot of film things with the Disney organization, which is cool. And you had Bill Farmer, the voice of Goofy, and Tony Anselmo, who was the voice of Donald Duck. Um, they were all being honored, which I thought was pretty fun. And uh, then to top it all off, your big one was uh, Robin Williams. Hmm. To me, I'm amazed Robin Williams, it took that long to honor him. When you consider the genie, when you consider his uh, touchstone roles, Dead Poet Society, Good Morning Vietnam, uh, those are you know, iconic roles. Uh, and he's definitely had his hand in the Disney company for a long time. They honored Tim Allen almost 10 years before they honored Robin Williams. Uh, and I would consider them both sort of the backbones of the of – the, uh, company's uh, film making in the 90s um it does make me like just looking through the list it just i it, i get so happy when i do see people that i would absolutely consider legends just because of all the things they did for disney uh julie andrews the sherman brothers mary blair blaine gibson exotensio so i do think they've done a good job of recognizing all the ones you would just definitely assume should be on that list one thing that i thought was actually kind of cool was that they also honored dave smith in the archives, because that's kind of a, uh, not so much anymore, but that's kind of a, uh, 
thankless job in a lot of ways as far as like him being in the public eye you know the casual disney fan is not going to know who dave smith is but us people who love disney history are so thankful for all the things dave smith has done so i love that he was recognized with a disney legend award you know in a day and age when uh film preservation is so valued Go back, what, even 30 years ago, and that was not valued at all. Things were reused, they were thrown away, they were repurposed. And so to have that sort of insight to say, hey, this is going to matter one day, I should start, you know, uh, keeping things. Dave Smith really is legendary in that idea because he was ahead of his time. Yeah. You know, Bette Midler, I think, uh, obviously the thing that excites me most is Hocus Pocus, but people don't. I think realize once again with Touchstone Pictures, she was like the comedy queen for Disney for a good period of time there, and you know she was a huge part of Disney MGM Studios opening, and so like I was excited for her, I was happy for her, even though like I'm not saying just because you're a celebrity you're not worthy of this award. That's like I hope people aren't interpreting what I'm saying that way. It's just uh, there are tons of people like this year Barnett Ricci who got it. I was so happy for her because I mean Fantasmic. In my mind, Fantasmic at Disneyland was the nighttime spectacular to change all nighttime spectaculars. And I know she had way more credits than just Fantasmic, but I would even argue at 25 plus years old, Fantasmic alone makes you worthy of a Disney Legend Award. I was very happy for her. Okay, so as we wrap up the the discussion about Disney Legends, I want to know who has never received the Disney Legend Award that you guys think deserves it. Michael Eisner. Oh, wow. He's not on that list? No, and from what... It's interesting because I've heard rules for the Disney Legends, but they always seem to be broken or they always seem to be exceptions. But I've heard like the CEO of the company or somebody who is a CEO won't get it because it just seems a little bit um, wrong. But... I, Michael Eisner has been out of the company for long enough that I absolutely think he should be a Disney legend. Frank Wells and Card Walker both have one. Were they not CEOs? Uh, Frank Wells was not CEO. He was he was under. He was COO. COO. Okay, okay. So yeah, I don't know. I I feel like Michael Eisner absolutely should. I feel like Don Hahn should. Mega mm. producer, uh, Beauty mm. and the Beast, Lion King, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Like I think he should. Rick Moranis obviously should. And um, the the one big one, Diane Disney Miller, mm. uh, who's Walt's daughter. And a lot of people would say, well, why? What did she do for the company? And I'm going to make an argument here that will probably infuriate some people. But I think her job of creating the Walt Disney Family Museum has done more for the company than a lot of the stuff that the official company has done mm-hmm. uh, in the last several years. And, you know... Walt and uh, Walt Disney and Roy Disney's wives are Disney legends, and my argument would be that Walt's daughter has done more for the company than the wives have. Yeah, she was on my list as well, Diane Disney Miller. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Uh, speaking of wives, that did you know Lily Lillian remarried after Walt's death? Oh no, I did not know that. I learned that recently. I was I was shooketh by it. <laughs> What about you, Jeremy? Diane Disney Miller and Ron Miller were both on my list as well. But they were kind of like the fringe. There's really only one name that I can think of that absolutely deserves this award is Joe Rohde. And I can say, you know, between 
Alani and Animal Kingdom and Pandora and just, you know, the countless things that he has contributed to the parks, how he has not been honored already surprises me. I would say that, you know, you have people like Marty Sklar who are passing away. Tony Baxter is getting up there in age. These sort of recognizable Imagineer names, there really is only one in the current generation, if you would, and that is Joe Rohde. Name another one. Joe Rohde will get it once he retires. They're waiting for him to retire. That's I possible. Can, yeah, I can see that. Uh, a few names I had. I, Hans Zimmer got it this year. So I'm kind of surprised that Michael Giacchino has not gotten it with The Incredibles and Up and Inside Out. Like, he's in, he's won an Oscar for the company. His song is featured on Main Street USA. I just feel like maybe he should get it soon. Ron Clements and John Musker are the directing team. Like, a lot of people who direct Disney movies only direct one, and that's it. This team has directed The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Hercules, Princess and the Frog, Moana. Like, this is a dynamic duo who has put out some hits for the company. So I'm kind of surprised that they don't have one. And then as far as the park stuff goes, Steve Davison is, like, the nighttime spectacular guy. He's behind, He created Wishes and Paint the Night and World of Color and Festival of Fantasy. Uh, I mean, these are huge nighttime spectaculars that families go home talking about because it's one of the highlights of every Disney vacation. So as an Imagineer, I would think he would be up there close to Joe Rohde, like probably behind Joe Rohde, but up there in that same vein. So here's the problem with giving this award to people who still work for the company. And I know for a fact that this has happened. It's really hard to reprimand or fire somebody who mm. is a Disney legend. Good call. Yeah. And I'll leave it at that. I'll tell you a story off the air. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, we got to wrap it up because I'm curious. <laughs> On that note, let's go ahead and close out the discussion. Lots of news, of course, we wanted to talk about. And the Disney legend is something that's important and we've never really addressed but now we have. So, Jeff, thanks, as always, for coming on our show. Remind our listeners where they can find you. Of course, uh, Disney Coast to Coast can be heard over at DisneyCoastToCoast.com, or you can simply uh, search for Disney Coast to Coast. That's Disney with a Z on all of your podcast listening platforms. And just in case any of your listeners are interested in starting their own podcast, I actually started an online podcasting course called You Can Podcast Now that you can check out at YouCanPodcastNow.net. Head there and get some free information about starting your own podcast. Yeah, I love that. All right, well, you can find us online as well at Mad Chatters on most social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Send those emails to comments at madchatters.net, and we'll see you back here real soon. Take a little time to find the magic in every day. <laughs>